Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program. We're trying to relieve pressure from no, we're not. Downey. Ms. Bakhtiari, please. I'm always fine with you spelling my Bakhtiari. I have to listen to you gaslight some number over and over again. Ms. Bakhtiari, you have an opportunity to speak. Ms. Bakhtiari, I have the floor. And you said earlier in the media how much you respect me. So, you know, please, you know, I'm trying to be non-confrontational. Not without some tense moments, a majority of the Atlanta City Council members voted Monday night to move forward with the plan to lease space at the city jail to Fulton County. The agreement would bring in up to 700 detainees from the county jail. Supporters, including Mayor Andre Dickens, said it would help ease overcrowding. But many opponents accused Dickens of reversing course on a plan to close the jail. Four city council members voted against the deal. I'll speak with Moki Macias, executive director of the Policing Alternatives and Diversion Initiative, also known as PAD. The organization came out strongly against the lease and called for further investment in diversion work. And also on today's program, a follow-up from yesterday's program. A DeKalb County apartment complex was considered affordable and well below the market rate. Then it was acquired by the faith-based nonprofit WellRoot. I spoke with the catering reporter, Zoe Saylor, about the ongoing saga. The remaining residents were notified on August 1st that they had to be out by September 9th. So definitely not a lot of time to figure out their plans for moving. Well, there has been an update regarding 750 East Lake Drive. And joining me in just a moment, Well Root President and CEO Allison Ash joins me. All important community conversations. But first this, Georgia's abortion law can remain in effect as a lawsuit challenging it moves forward. That's after a Fulton County Superior Court judge ruling yesterday. Now, Jess Mador reports why plaintiffs were hoping the judge would rule in their favor. In its lawsuit, the ACLU argues Georgia's abortion law violates privacy protections under the state constitution. HB 481 bans abortion, with some exceptions after around six weeks of pregnancy. Last week, the ACLU asked Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney for a temporary restraining order to block the law while the case proceeds. McBurney denied that request. A federal court allowed HB 481 to take effect after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and the ACLU quickly filed a lawsuit in state court on behalf of Georgia abortion rights groups and providers. The next hearing date in the case has yet to be set. Jess Mador, WABE News. And in other news, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has tapped former cop sheriff, Assistant Chief Mike Register, as the new Georgia Bureau of Investigation director. Register has a background in law enforcement in Cobb and Clayton counties, and he fills the vacancy led, left by former GBI director Vic Reynolds, who is now a Cobb Judicial Court Superior Court a, excuse me, Cobb Judicial Circuit Superior Court judge. Say that three times. The Board of Public Safety has to approve Register before he starts the job. Republican U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham is planning to fight the subpoena that requires him to testify in front of the special grand jury, of course, investigating efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Now, this is after a federal judge's ruling Monday. As we hear from WABE Sam Greenglass, he talks about what the prosecution is seeking. Prosecutors want to ask Graham about calls to Georgia's secretary of state and his staff after the 2020 election. Graham says the calls were protected by a clause in the U.S. Constitution that shields lawmakers from testifying about activity in Congress. A judge disagreed, saying Graham may be asked about more than calls, like any coordination with the Trump campaign's attempts to disrupt Georgia's vote. That would be of great significance, the judge wrote. 
The grand jury has subpoenaed many of former President Trump's allies, including Rudy Giuliani, who's slated to appear this week. Graham says he will appeal the ruling. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. Well, let's talk about gas prices here in Georgia. It's getting a little better and continuing to decline, all while remaining behind the national average as well, as we hear from Alex Helmick. The national average for a gallon of regular unleaded fell below $4 a gallon recently, and in Georgia, it's even lower. Motoring Group AAA says here the average is $3.52 a gallon, down 11 cents from a week ago and 59 cents from a month ago. Georgia has been below the national average through the historic rise in prices, in part because of the suspension of the state's 29 cents a gallon gas tax. That remains in effect until next month. AAA says demand is down as summer travel comes to an end, but the crude oil market is likely to remain tight, meaning less supply, which could see prices start to increase again soon. Alex Helmick, WABE News. And finally, the Georgia Department of Public Health has a new online scheduling page for anyone that wants to find and make appointments for monkeypox vaccines. Now, this is a one-stop site that just launched, and it's for good reason, because monkeypox cases are increasing amid a shortage of vaccine doses. Now, to find and schedule a shot, just go to the Georgia Department of Health's website. That's dph.ga.gov monkeypox, and then find a vaccine and register for an appointment. And if you don't have access to the Internet, we'll give you a number. It's one 457 186 Again, one 457 186 You're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And from WABE in Atlanta, Closer Look continues. As always, I'm Rose Scott. And we're going to continue with a follow-up from yesterday's program. It's about a DeKalb County apartment complex that was considered pretty affordable and well below the market rate. And it was acquired by the faith-based nonprofit WellRoot for about $3.4 million. Now, yesterday on the program, I spoke with Decatur's reporter Zoe Seiler about the ongoing saga. The remaining residents were notified on August 1st that they had to be out by September 9th. So definitely not a lot of time to figure out their plans for moving. And as mentioned yesterday, residents were given a move out extension date for 750 East Lake Drive. Well, joining me now is the president and CEO of Wellroot, Allison Ash. Ms. Ash, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, thank you so much for having me here. Um, super um, appreciative of having the opportunity to, to come onto the show and to talk about the, the work that Wellroot does and the work that we are um, gonna be um, embarking upon in the Decatur community. But more importantly, um, very, very much appreciate the opportunity to come on and publicly apologize to the residents of 750 East Lake. We, recognize that we have caused them some some hardship and was certainly not our intent and are grateful for the opportunity to be able to 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 be with you to apologize to them all right i'm sure they appreciate that well let's talk, get a little backstory on well root you are a nonprofit, but you're housed under the united methodist children's home of the north georgia conference correct and y'all been around for a long a long long time correct Yes, last this last year we celebrated our 150th anniversary. So this year we're 151 years old. Um, we are a ministry of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. I think most people know us as um, the United Methodist Children's Home. For 145 years of our 151 year history, we were actually located in Decatur on a property that's now owned by the city and called um, Legacy Park. Mm -hmm. So. About four or five years ago, we sold that property as we began to focus primarily on our foster care um, work and our work in preventing children from going into the foster care 
foster care system. But I want to talk about that for a moment because your mission, as you all cited, is to, quote, provide short-term foster families when needed and nurture and educate teens and young adults to break the cycle of trauma in their lives. So you all have a lot of services that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, um, again, we're now most well known for our foster care programs. We serve about 169 children, between 169 and 189 children each year who are experiencing the foster care system. Some who may be uh, in foster care temporarily, others that might be need foster care services for a number of years. Um, what we have found and what research has shown is that whenever possible, um, kids do better when they can stay with their birth families or when we can keep them with their foster families for as long as possible. So in addition to our foster care program, we have what's called prevention programs. Um, we have programs to provide counseling to families, um, parenting curriculum and coaching. Um, um, we have a program called Healthy Families where mm -hmm. we work with young moms to support them prenatally and at birth through three years of age when she has a young child, if she might be risking uh, risk losing her child into care. But we also have residential programs. So I think the story kind of centers around some of our residential work. Um, unfortunately, sometimes kids age out of foster care sure. without having built long-term um, familial connections. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're turning 18 years old, um, moving into a very um, important, very exciting time of their life where the rest of us might have had parents that could help us navigate that, you know, mm -hmm. navigate getting our first apartment, navigate learning how to do finances. Um, and these young people may not have that because they've reached the end of their foster care journey without that support system. And uh, good. So, so we provide that. We provide um, housing for them and we provide the wraparound support services. We provide them educational supports. Um, we help them with job training. Um, if they need it, we give them mental health support, I think. But most importantly, we provide them with love um, and uh, a feeling of family and a feeling of, of community. So Well Root is headquartered in DeKalb County, but United Methodist Children's Home, they're Gwinnett County based, correct? Is that where you, they're headquartered, so to speak? We are in Tucker, Georgia. I believe we're, I believe that's in DeKalb County, but I, we are real close to the Gwinnett border. But I think we're in DeKalb. Now, let me ask you this. Do, does Wellroot have other facilities like the one that you all are going to use the 750 location for? Or do you have other, I don't know if you want to call them residential treatment or, or facilities in other counties in terms of property ownership? How, where do you all have all this? So is this the first one? So we have the young people in this program um, lived on that campus that was in Decatur. Um, when we sold that campus, we moved them into apartments that are out in the greater community. Um, and the apartment they are currently in is coming, um, our lease is expiring. And we felt like that we could provide them a more loving and nurturing environment if we owned an apartment community where we could house them kind of more close together as mm -hmm. opposed to spread out across a, a larger community. Um, and, and really a, a place that's that's very family oriented, um, has employment opportunities nearby, has public transportation nearby so that they can get to school or to work easily. Um, and the, the program would just, um, the, the young people in the program mm -hmm. would just really benefit from being in a community like Oakhurst. So this, where your current lease is expiring, that's in DeKalb County as well? That is, that's correct. Let me ask you this, you all, the, so the services you all provide, they're not just in DeKalb or Gwinnett, but all counties. How are folks typically referred to Wellroot? How are families and children's, how do you all become involved in, in helping them? You know, it depends on how and why someone is referred to us. Um, we do have offices through the, uh, out the um, kind of northern half of the state, Macon North. Our locations are um, Troop County, um, Noonan and Coweta County. We have a location in um, Augusta. Those three locations are primarily foster care locations where we recruit, train, and license foster families. Um, one of the things that we try and the state really aims to do in foster care is to keep children as close to home as possible so that they can have visitation with their parents mm -hmm. and stay connected to their families. So having those remote offices allows us to um, not move kids all over the state and try to recruit foster families where kids are referred to us from. Um, we have an office in Gainesville. That office is where we have launched our, um, what we're calling our prevention work. Mm -hmm. um, prevention work, that work depend, depends on the program. So 
Um, I think I mentioned that we have a parent coaching um, class. Those referrals come from the court system. So mm. if a family comes in and is referred to the court system because their child has excessive um, truancy, they might say, hey, we're going to connect you with WellRoot and WellRoot's going to give you some education and some some techniques around how to get your kid to go to school and how to um, how to get them back on the, the right track. And so, um, and so but, that three point four million that you all use to purchase seven fifty East Lake, is that under your budget or is it under the United Methodist Children's Because I imagine since they're the umbrella here that they, they have the big bucks and <laughs> more than you all have. We, we it's the same organization. We are the United Methodist Children's Home doing business as well with family services. Okay. You we wanted have, to keep you have we a lot of assets. And I mean your your operating budget is pretty large. I went through your nine ninety last night. It took me couple hours y'all have a, a huge operating budget yeah as a 150 year, year old organization and with the methodist church behind us we are um, um we we do have um we do have resources but it takes a lot of resources to serve these kids was there any other property that might have been vacant that you all could have looked at or why was this property even though there were folks living there and a property that was renting at well below the mm-hmm. the market rate was this the best option for you all we were not shown um we did hire a broker we were not shown any vacant properties and or we're not aware of any um vacant properties um but this one of the properties we looked at absolutely had checked all the boxes in terms of being a warm and inviting community we felt like would accept um, and help us nurture the young people in the program and again the opportunities for employment that exist in the oakhurst community um, the public transportation, and just the beauty of the property overall. Given, Ms. Sash, given this is an apartment complex, as I meant, again, renting well below the market rate, you can understand how an abrupt change in property ownership would be jarring, if not maybe even traumatic for some of these folks. Yeah, I do. I do. And I, I, and especially the timing of it. You know, I know that one of the, the residents is concerned with it being at the beginning of the year, and we get that. You know, as a mother myself, I get that. And we certainly did not mean to cause any um, harm to the, the current residents of the property. Um, the timeline was truly a mistake. Um, we, um, we, so as, as, as um, leases expired, we didn't renew leases and a resident called us and said, hey, it looks like you might not be renewing leases. I'd like to get out of my lease. So I um, asked our team, um, that was going to leave five more residents. And I asked our team, reach out to them and see if other folks are interested in getting out of renewing um, their lease. And, and it just got miscommunicated. And we immediately, and we sent them a notice that we were um, not going to have them stay. And, and, and I, I, I feel terrible about that. And we've been trying to rectify the situation and, and, and take actions to make the um, transition as smooth as possible for those folks. Well, and even prior to that, was there any internal conversation that you all have concerning the best way to communicate with the residents of 750 East Lake Drive. I mean, I know a letter was sent out, and given the mission of what you all do, you know the importance of communicating face-to-face with people. Was there any talk about, hey, maybe we should go out and offer to meet with some folks? No, because we just hadn't gotten to that point yet. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally, this was just like we moved too fast, and we had planned to have those conversations, and those conversations hadn't taken place yet because – um, you know, I, and I and, and I know we're we're a little bit down the path now, but I would be happy to meet with and talk with any of the residents of 750 and um, and understand if there's a ways that we could make this transition easier or smoother mm-hmm. for them. And to be clear, Wellroot is the sole owner of the apartment complex. Just you that all. Correct. That is correct. You said an internal error was it initially. Then you all did not. You all plan to give them more than just. I think it was 38 days. Did you initially want to give them more than that or? Explain this internal error. Yeah, the question that I wanted posed, I wanted to be more of a question. I wanted to find out because we had been asked by a resident to be let out of his lease. I wanted us to check in with the other five remaining residents to see Mm -hmm. if they would also like to be let out of their lease. And instead, we just let them out of their lease. So that was just simply an internal communications error. And again, I, I have... You know, as soon as I found found out about it, again, I was mortified. I can't move in five weeks. I understand that. Mm-hmm. It, it, moving is a hard thing. And um, and I asked our team. I was like, let's get on the phone with, with with the community and 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 offer more time and see what they need. So looking back, you probably you're saying you would have offered more than just maybe maybe two or three months in the beginning when that letter went out. 
Yeah, I mean, we hadn't even gotten to talk to the point of talking about how much time, but certainly, certainly more than five weeks. And we've had several ask for minimal extensions. Some ask for a little bit more. Um, you know, I was just talking with the team um, mm -hmm. earlier this week. I would like to offer some help with moving expenses. So we're going to be reaching it. We're in process of reaching out to all the residents to offer them um, $1,000 each in, in moving expenses. And just really, you know, again, we feel feel very bad about the situation and want to help them as much as we can. Can you imagine someone listening saying that that sounds great, Miss Ash? Why didn't y'all just do this in the beginning? And who signed yeah. off on that letter? Is that yeah. you? I, I would have um i i was not aware of the letter no you weren't and, um, no now listen i'm gonna tell you something i, I know I've, I've had three ceos at this at this organization and i know that if a letter goes out on behalf of your organization i i would think that the ceo and president should be aware of that they should have told you you should have been I aware know. of that right is is that i'm not trying to yes, you're right did somebody you're get in right. trouble was there a meeting call because you know well I, you know i, I I, I, I want to have my team and support my team's back. I, sure. I, and, and, and I feel, again, I feel bad for, um, for th that this has happened. And obviously that was a major in, um, internal miscommunication on our part. Are there immediate renovations that need to take place at 750 East Lake Drive? And that's another reason why you all wanted to perhaps move quickly? Yes. So we, we absolutely there. Um, it is um, a, a property that um, has a lot of deferred maintenance. There is work that needs to be done on the property. Um, some before our young people move in um, and then another round um, likely after they move in, after we're able to secure funding to to do more extensive renovations. But the immediate work is um, the, roof, the roofs of the property need to be replaced. There's um, significant holes in the roof, which has caused water damage and um, including some water damage in the crawl space that needs to be remediated. There is um, that the gutters have to be replaced. The gutters actually have little trees growing in them. They have not been cared for. Um, the property's in disrepair. So we want to do, you know, the initial things that we need to do, including some beautification and landscaping. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be um, working to seek funding to to do further renovations to make it a community asset. We really feel like this is, it's a, it is a property that's in disrepair and we mm -hmm. want it to be beautiful for the community, but it will remain affordable because we are not going to be, we're going to be charging below market rate rent as well. We're just targeting a different population. So let me ask you this, based on what you just said. So, this will still be an apartment complex, but for folks that you all are servicing, correct? That's correct. Primarily. That's, that's correct. Have you had conversations or do you plan to have conversations with the Oakhurst? I don't know if they have a neighborhood association or because based on the communication breakdown and errors with the residents of 750 East Lake, I can imagine there's some lessons learned that you want to make sure you communicate with. Oh, absolutely absolutely we are um jumping actually not jumping on that i mean we've, we've started having internal communications about that over the past week and that is the next step is reaching reaching out to folks in the community and making sure um, everyone understands who we are what we do and how we plan to be a good neighbor to the community you have made it very clear the mission and the services of well root i don't think that anyone at least through my opinion and maybe i shouldn't offer it but i'm a foster kid I was raised in a foster home, so I know the importance of having a good foster home. And had the, I had the best foster parents in the entire world. I tell you that right now. So you understand the importance of everyone understands the importance of the work you've done. But going back to how all of this could have been avoided and focusing on communicating with people who clearly deserve some or better, you know, communications with you, you would have. You would Absolutely. Have, you would have, we will be looking at our internal and our external communications and how we do that much, much better because the community deserves that. What is the next step then? Uh, you all will meet with the community. Do you need to have any other per permits or zoning for anything? You all have no, gotten all the, that? The zoning, it's currently zoned for 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 um, how we would use it. Um, we have, and so the next step really is, you know, continue to reach out to the current residents, make sure they have what they need. Again, we're, we're reaching out to them right now. They offer assistance with their moving costs, um, making sure that we have the, the right move out dates for them to help them with what meet their needs. And then we will be moving on to um, interfacing with the community and talking about the, our plans for the project. And, and, and we're working on a timeline and, um, pricing and all the things for renovating because we're excited to, to, to make it what the beautiful home that we know it can be. Um, and, and then, you know, later the fall, we'll move some, some of our young people in. 
And so now the move out date has been extended to October. Is that correct? We asked each resident to let us know what they needed. So it's different. You know, it depends mm-hmm. on the resident. Um, uh, I think the, the resident who was um, uh, in the article elected to stay through October 1st and we granted that. There's, there's at least one person we haven't heard back from yet in terms of how long they would like it extended. All right. Allison Ash is the president and CEO of Wellroot. Miss Ash, I appreciate you all coming on the program, giving your side of the story. We wanted to make sure that we heard from all the parties involved. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And again, my apologies. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share about Wellroot and our work. And Rose, at some point, I want to talk to you about your foster care journey as well, because um, we've got we got a lot of work to do on that front, too. So I appreciate you having me. All right. It's great. Look at me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. And Closer Look continues from WABE Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. A reminder, as always, you can send me your emails as you all do, rose at wabe.org. Now, the Atlanta City Council is moving forward with a controversial plan to house up to 700 Fulton County inmates in the city jail. That has to be expected. Last night, uh, Monday's council meeting included hours of debate and a little bit of drama. We're trying to relieve pressure from Fulton no, we're not. County. Ms. Bakhtiari, please. I, I am always fine with you Ms. speaking. Ms. Bakhtiari, Ms. Bakhtiari, I have to listen to you gaslight this member over and over again. Ms. Bakhtiari, will you have an opportunity to speak? Ms. Bakhtiari, I have the floor, and, I, and you said earlier in the media how much you respect me. So, you know, please, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be non-confrontational. Hmm. That exchange was between City Council members Michael Julian Bond and Liliana Bakhtiari with Council President Doug Shipman playing referee there. Now, Councilmember Bakhtiari walked out after an amendment for more time to study financial. the financial impact was actually defeated. I hope you all understand why I am upset. Sorry for speaking out of turn and for storming off the floor. It's just um, I put my heart and soul into making this the best it possibly can be, and I just don't understand I would want to get more data first, but anyways, no, the motion's been made, and um, the jail has happened, and I apologize to you all. I did the best I could. Now, again, the agreement would bring up to about 700 detainees from the county jail. Now, supporters, including Mayor Andre Dickens, say it would help ease overcrowding. And we know for years and years, Fulton County has had that issue. During the public comment portion of the council meeting, R. Gary Spencer with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund said it's long overdue for a solution to Fulton County's overpopulated jail conditions. We agree that swift action is needed to address the untenable conditions to Fulton County Jail. No one should have to sleep on the floor on a pod as reported by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and other sources. But these problems at Fulton County are not new. As you have heard, Fulton County has been in court for decades, for decades for jail overcrowding, among other issues. Conditions would improve and then deteriorate again. Each time, Fulton County tried to solve its problem by leasing more jail space. Each time, it has failed. But many opponents accuse Mayor Dickens of reversing course on a plan to close the jail, legislation he actually favored when he was on council. Tiffany Roberts is the public policy director for the Southern Center for Human Rights. A city council that would authorize the mayor to sign an intergovernmental agreement, despite opposition from your clergy, from 300 healthcare workers, from the most prominent, accomplished, and well-respected criminal legal reform law firms and attorneys, advocates who have been incarcerated in these facilities, and another broad swath of our community, a city council who would hurriedly approve that intergovernmental agreement is in fact not governing. Council members Liliana Bakhtiari, Jason Dozier, Antonio Lewis, and Keisha Sean Waits voted no to the lease agreement. Now, an amendment that did pass does call for a jail population review, and that will fall to a combined city-county justice policy board. We're joining me now is Moki Macias, executive director for the Policing Alternatives and Diversion Initiative. We also, formerly, we also know as PAD. The organization opposes the lease agreement and has always been calling for further investment in diversion work. Director Macias, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Rose, for having me. 
Let's begin here because leading up to last night's council vote, was there any optimism on your part of, that there might be a different outcome? You know, we had several conversations with both the mayor and many of the council members leading up to the vote. And, you know, while we weren't sure how it would turn out, you know, what we really tried to emphasize was that, you know, for a decision of this magnitude, it was just really essential that there was a clear understanding of what was actually driving the jail overcrowding issues instead of a rush to a um, <clears throat> to a solution that we don't believe would actually be effective. There have been some reports, and I believe this is coming out of the Southern Poverty Law Center, that there could be an additional 600, at least 650 spaces available at the city jail, if not for these high bonds for what some call very non-complex, low offense charges. Is to you, Do you all know if that, that number is actually accurate? So I, I think that was actually the Southern Center for Human Rights that shared that data point. Yes, um, but, about that. you know, sure, we, we are aware that there are many, many people in the Fulton County Jail who are there simply because they're not able to pay the often very modest sums of money that somebody who had that money would simply pay and get out and wait for their trial. Mm -hmm. um, now, part of the challenge of this of this decision has been the fact that there is not a sort of authoritative source on who is in the jail right now um, that has been, you know, confirmed by both the county and, and all of the players involved. So I think that is our opportunity over the next 90 days is to identify exactly, you know, what those trends are and what the stories are of the individuals who are at Fulton County Jail so that we can identify where we can make some fixes in policy and practice that would actually have a much bigger impact than simply renting more beds. Someone listening may say, why wasn't all this maybe considered? It was hard to get everybody in the same room to talk about this before it even came to a vote that maybe this could have been rectified, even not in this administration, but the administration before. Sure. You know, I, I think there has been a, that that sort of avoids the reality that there has been years and years of work on the behalf of so many organizations in this community to reduce jail populations, to reduce the number of people who are in jail because they're too poor to pay, who are in jail because they have behavioral health concerns. Um, and so, you know, certainly Pat is a part of that in terms of providing an alternate response so people don't end up having an, an, an police interaction where it's not necessary, as well as providing diversion. But it goes beyond that. You know, there's the Justice and Mental Health Task Force at the county has been working for years on recommendations to do exactly what we we know there's evidence that will reduce jail populations. That's reducing bookings. It's reducing the length of stay. It's increasing people's connection to care that are there simply because they lack resources and need services. And in, in doing all of that, therefore also reducing recidivism. And your organization, if there is an organization that certainly knows that and can back that up, because I'm going off reports from you all, so far this year, you say your response team has diverted 176 people who could have otherwise ended up in the Fulton County Jail. So you all That's have right. you have the, the evidence, so to speak, that supports that if you have more investment or resources for initiatives like yours, whether it's your organization or other organizations, you can reduce the population in Fulton County Jail. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what's important here to mention is that it's not simply investment of dollars. You know, we have enjoyed the support of both the mayor and the council in investing financially in PAD. And that, of course, we are, you know, we're deeply appreciative of that. But it's the investment of political will, right? It is the investment of our partners in the criminal legal uh, agencies that are a player in this, right? It's the investment of our prosecutors in indicting so people have the dignity of responding to charges against them. It's the investment of our police department in ensuring that every single charge that could be diverted and instead the person connected to services, that actually happens with. And where that doesn't happen, that the officer then provides the rationale for why they made a different decision and went ahead and, and booked that person. So we really, at this point, it's really an investment of political will to get together 
and actually use the evidence-based approaches that advocates have been calling for for years. Now, that 176 number that I just mentioned, and based on what you just said, also in this time, in the same time frame this year, more than 300 folks were sent to the jail with what you all consider diversion eligible charges. So that's right. And where's the breakdown? If they have these diversion eligible charges, are prosecutors just not willing to deal with that? Is it public defenders not being aware? Where's the breakdown here? Yeah, and I think it it speaks to sort of what at what points in this cycle we can really have an impact, right? Um, in terms of the ability to divert, we have the opportunity. We provide that to officers to make a decision at the time of arrest to divert pre-arrest, right? And so we don't know all of the reasons why an individual uh, officer may choose to book somebody at the jail instead of to divert. It's important for us to know those reasons so that we can provide additional training and we can provide just more uh, more nuanced uh, information about why those those missed opportunities occurred. Um, at the same time, though, you know, we know that there will always be arrests of individuals who could potentially have a better resolution because they are in need of services. And so in that, you know, I think there is an opportunity for us to look at what our peers are doing, for example, in Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they actually allow people who have misdemeanor charges to see their pretrial services before they're booked into jail. They set a court date for folks. And most people don't even get booked into their jail on misdemeanor charges. That doesn't mean that they don't still respond, right? They have to respond to the charges against them. Um, but it certainly reduces the number of people who are awaiting to even see a judge on a, a minor misdemeanor charge uh, while sitting in jail. Well, Director, let's back up then for our, so our listeners are very clear as well, because if you're saying that a lot of this begins with the initial officer making the call, or if someone has an opportunity to receive these aversion services it, it before they even get booked into the jail, it can, you're saying this can be stopped right then and there, but it's up to the officer if someone doesn't call the 311? That's right. So officers have discretion about what they do when they're interacting with an individual, right? They, mm -hmm. all, they always have discretion. They can give somebody a warning that for many charges, they can issue a citation. Um, and then for many charges, they can make a physical arrest. That is the officer discretion. So mm -hmm. it's important for us to recognize that, you know, if we wanted officers to simply stop arresting, then that would be on our uh, legislators to change the laws, right? But officers ha have an obligation to respond and then make some sort of action. So pre-arrest diversion is in the hands of officers, but that means that, you know, it also, they need to be hearing from their super superiors. They need mm -hmm. to be hearing from the department that this is of the utmost priority to help contribute to solving the overcrowding population. And if I could, Rose, I'd like to add one thing here. Sure. You know, when your bathtub is overflowing, you don't run out and buy a new bathtub, right? You don't run out and buy a second bathtub. What you do first is you turn off the tap. That is what diversion alternate response does to contribute to solving this problem. I want our listeners to get a better understanding, too, when we talk about these low-level, non-complex, or these charges, or these offenses, or alleged offenses that officers might be responding to. What are we talking about here? Give our listeners some examples. Sure. So the overwhelming charge that we both get diversions for, but that also uh, we see missed opportunities for diversion is criminal trespass. And what we know, and which tracks with other cities around the country, is that criminal trespass is a misdemeanor charge. It carries, in, in Georgia, it carries up to a year in jail. Um, but it is very, very highly correlated with people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. This is the charge that people receive when they are sleeping on property, uh, oftentimes that because they do not have a home. That's one of the top charges that we see. Uh, other charges include uh, marijuana charges. Mm -hmm. They include petty shoplifting charges. So, you know, somebody who's shoplifting diapers, somebody who's shoplifting food, um, often they get in, you know, are, are caught up in that situation. 
and also disturbance, disorderly conduct, sometimes even terroristic threats. You know, that sounds bad, but really it's somebody who's in the middle of a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. and they are frightened and they're saying things that they, they probably, you know, they probably may not even know what they're saying. So that's a lot of the charges that we see. And you all. For a while, you used to just operate in certain zones, certain zip codes, but now you're citywide, correct? That's right. We are citywide. We offer services in alignment with the 311 live call and hours, excuse me. So that's Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But we're also working very closely with the county and the city, Grady Hospital, Georgia Justice Project, and other partners to launch a 24-7 alternative to jail at ACDC in the coming year. You know, you all get funding from the city. You know, that was a promise that Mayor Dickens made to y'all when he was a candidate, and he helped expand that. And did you consider or did you feel that there maybe there was even a little bit of a political risk in you all coming out and and speaking against this proposal? You know, I I think what we just want to make clear is that the reason that we exist is because of community organizing. Mm-hmm. It's because the community came out and said, we want a different approach to community safety and wellness. And PAD was one part of that. We're one piece of that puzzle. We're not the whole solution, right? But we exist because community members have been asking for years that the city change course from a culture of punishment and an assumption that jail is a place where people should be disappeared to if they are poor or they are suffering in public. And so when it comes to the the decisions that our city and our county make about how to address the fact that so many people who, who fit that bill are languishing in our jails, we are squarely in the middle of that conversation, whether we like it or not. And so... You know, I I don't think there was much of a choice there, Mm -hmm. um, but rather to say that, you know, we are and I said this to council last night, you know, we are on track. We are making changes in how our city responds to these really difficult challenges. Mm -hmm. And we are just begging those partners that we have been working with for years at the city and the county to stay the course. I have a listener that has a question, and they want to know, do you, do you know, I guess asking you, if there was any evidence in terms of the recidivism rate for those who were diverted to other services? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Um, so, you know, that is part of the data that we are working very hard to be able to provide in a, on a more consistent basis because it is a critical you know, it's a critical information point. In an initial review of our of our data, in terms of looking at people who had been arrested prior six months prior to diversion comparing to six months post diversion we saw a very low level mm-hmm. so it you know under 10 percent of the people that we had data from um atlanta police department on under 10 percent had been rearrested post diversion to pad under 10 percent hmm. how optimistic are you then now with this because this was in the amendment, at least that they all agreed on that, that this uh, analysis, I guess, of the jail's detainees, which will include, you know, why they're being held and and how long, what do you hope comes out of that? Yeah, so, you know, a jail population review team um, is really a national best practice. It's been used all over the country to take a systematic approach to uncovering the drivers of jail overcrowding. Um, it's it truly it's it's just what the doctor ordered as far as we're concerned. Um, and what I really love about it is that while it's data driven, the process is to literally review every single person at the jail to understand why they're there and what's needed to resolve their cases. And we know that, you know, because this is a jail and not a prison, most people are not there serving a sentence. Right. Mm-hmm. Many people are there that could we, we could resolve the issue by figuring out what their bond is that they can't pay, right? By actually getting them a treatment bed or a housing placement, which is the only reason they're still held in jail, or by figuring out the other resources and services they need um, that can really more effectively address why they ended up there in the first place um, and also reduce the number of people who are sitting in the jail today. If that means reviewing every single person, that's, that's a tall task. 
It sure is. I think, you know, we're going to have a busy few months. Um, you know, I think the the Justice Policy Board is really well positioned to help a, a accomplish this task. And I, you know, I, I expect will rise to the challenge beautifully. There are partners that have been working in this, um, you know, in on this issue for years together, right? Whether that is the Georgia Justice Project, whether that is the Partners for Home, Continuum of Care folks, you know, PAD and others, you know, we've been already working, Grady mm -hmm. Memorial Hospital, we've been working together to figure out how we share data, how we get people quickly to the resources that they actually need, right? We've, we are well positioned to be able to uh, tackle this problem immediately. Um, and in the meantime, collect, I think, very compelling information that really will give us an understanding of why Fulton County Jail is overcrowded today and what can really most effectively solve it. Let's turn to the future for a moment because there is the Center for Diversion and Services. Where does it stand currently? Y'all still planning to open by 2024? That is the plan. Uh, it, you know, as you are aware, the Center for Diversion and Services is slated to be opened in the first floor, the administrative part um, of the Atlanta City Detention Center. Mm -hmm. So we are right at the tail end of architecture and engineering and design work. We have engaged hundreds of community members, particularly people who are formerly incarcerated and people who might be who might otherwise be guests of the center mm -hmm. um, to help us figure out what it would look and feel like and how it could be a welcoming space to people as we connect them to resources. So we are doing that work now. We're in partnership um, with many of the same organizations. And, you know, at this while we would love for it to happen sooner. I do think that the work of the Jail Population Review Committee might be a way for us to start tackling the problem in virtual, if you will. You mentioned Tucson and that being a model for how things can be done in, in, a, in a way that is fair and doesn't and, and will allow folks to not spend months and, and months and months in a, in a city jail detention center. But are there any other cities or any other place around the nation where you see the diversion program that you all say, look, we, we need to be exactly like they are in terms of PAD? You're the, you've been executive director now for a while, got a little bit more funding. I know there are a lot of things that you want, a lot of things that you don't have yet. So where do you see PAD in the next maybe two or three years, next year? And, and you know, what model are you using? Sure. So, you know, in terms of diversion, I think looking at Houston, Texas, what they are doing um, is a really powerful model. And some, you know, it's a place we've been learning from quite a bit. It goes hand in hand with the fact that they also have a very um, strong strategy around supporting people who are experiencing homelessness and getting them housed. So I think those things going hand in hand are not a, not an accident. Um, in terms of the work that we do in alternate response and diversion, I think the work that's being done in Seattle with the let, letting everyone advance with dignis, dignity um, work there is really powerful and we learn a lot from them. And, you know, frankly, there are places all over the country that are really experimenting with community response. You know, we look at Albuquerque, who's doing it through the city, mm -hmm. um, but is really, you know, has very similar, uh, a very similar approach. What I would love to see is that more and more as we continue the momentum that we already have established over these last few years, that we're really able to connect with community members who would otherwise have law enforcement contact because somebody is giving us a call through 311 instead of calling 911, instead of involving the police department whatsoever, and really pulling those, you know, pulling that uh, responsibility off of the police department. So I will just say one thing that we're looking forward to is um, the, later this month, we expect to start transferring a select call code from 911 into the 311 system for community response. So if somebody calls about public indecency, the 911 operator will ask a few questions to ensure it's a good fit and then actually send them over to 311 for a pad response. I would love to see that, you know, that initial pilot begin to grow so that we can continue to not only divert people out of the criminal legal system, but to, to divert calls out of our overburdened 911 system as well. But do you all then have enough personnel? I believe you send out a, so, a, so, a social worker, maybe one other person 
how many mm-hmm. how many folks do you have on your staff? Because now that you all are citywide, I imagine you need to have more folks. Absolutely, and you know, and that is where the commitment of the mayor as well as the city council, I think, will really allow us to rise to the challenge. So, you know, we've just been authorized for a major expansion of our funding from the city in order to expand our teams. So that's what we're really focused on being able to do. We're doubling, excuse me, our case management team, which means we can serve more people in long-term care navigation services and direct services. And we're doubling our community response teams, our harm reduction teams. Mm -hmm. And so that will allow us to respond to more calls, and to more effectively address issues that occur in the field. So, you know, that's what we're really taking, you know, tackling right now. We expect that by the end of this year, we'll have a staff of 70. Wow. And again, that's 311 for folks to call? That's right. People can call 311. Even if there's long wait times, if you choose option one for PAD and other social services, you'll be connected fairly quickly to an agent and they'll walk you through can get our team out. But are you 24 hours though? We are not currently 24 hours. You know, well, the diversion center will allow us to provide a 24 hour option and a 24 alternative to jail for law enforcement. Um, we are currently aligned with the 311 call center hours because we don't operate our own call center. Mm-hmm. And we feel it's really important that people are, they know a public number and they're able to use that number to access an in-person response. Mm-hmm. Moki Macias is the executive director of the Policing Alternatives and Diversion Initiative, also known as PAD. Thank you so much, as always, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We understand that your little one was not feeling well today and stayed home. So we send best wishes to your little one to get better. Thank you so much. I'm appreciative that they weren't a special guest on here. <laughs> well, Have a good day. I'll send them a hat and, and a little a T-shirt. Just tell me the size. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rose. I appreciate your time. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, Pat St. Clair. Lennox Johnson is our Closer Look summer intern. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And here y'all go. Rose, can I have a hat? I should have never said that. If you miss any of today's show, you can find the entire program online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. Of course, I'll send you a hat. Send me your email. Your address. Uh, as well as in our podcast, so subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. You're going to have marketing very mad at me. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott for now. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.